this is something that is very uh, important for me as a, a Christian uh, academic that our role is not to focus on Islam as a religion, but uh, on Muslims as people. It is combined with the sense of calling that uh, I have to share Christ with uh, Muslim people. We should always see the people behind the religion. Forget about them being Muslims and relate to them first as a human beings. You will see gradually, you will be led uh, little by little to talk about faith issues. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langone Partnership. Visit langone.org to learn more about Langone. What can Christians in Sydney learn from Christians in Sao Paulo? How can church leaders in Mongolia equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed the mission of God unlocking the Bible's grand narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as global ambassador and ministry director for Langham. Today, Chris sits down with author Shakat Mukhari. As an Arab Christian from Syria, Shakat developed a passion from a young age to build bridges of understanding between Christians and Muslims. His work with University Student Ministries, World Vision International, and Veritas Forum in France, where he lives and serves today, has all been focused on promoting interfaith dialogue and relationships. In part one of his conversation with Chris, he shares about growing up as a Christian in the Middle East and how his background spurred on his desire to seek mutual understanding and respect between Christians and Muslims. Welcome to On Mission with me, Chris Wright. And my guest today is from Syria. That is to say, he was born and grew up in Syria, but he now lives and works in France. And his name is Shaukat Mukhari. So welcome to you, Shaukat. Thank you, Chris. Good to see you again. Yes, it is indeed. Because uh, my friend Shaukat is, is not actually a Langham scholar, like many of my guests, but he is a Langham author, in that Langham is publishing his most recent book, which is called Islam on Trial, Globalization, Islamism and Christianity. And we'll come to a conversation about that book in just a minute. But more important, really, is that Shaukat and I are indeed old friends, uh, we were colleagues together at All Nations Christian College, which is a mission training college just a bit north of London here in the UK. And Sharkat was there for 12 years while I was principal there and then shortly after. And he was teaching Islamic and Middle Eastern studies. So Sharkat, yes, it's, it's great to see you again uh, and to have a chat. 
Why don't you uh, introduce yourself to us, tell a little bit about uh, who you are, your wife and family, and uh, what you're actually doing these days. Thank you. Uh, my name is Shoukat Muqarri, as you said, uh, and I was born uh, into a Catholic home in the city of Aleppo, which is the second largest city in Syria. And uh, thanks to my mother, I grew up uh, in a fairly religious environment, probably because my mom encouraged me, I became an altar uh, servant. And this was uh, the way that I came to read the Bible, at least uh, on Sunday, uh, more than once uh, a day, because uh, I served mass actually, uh, you know, twice or three times every, every Sunday. I have a twin sister who lives in France like me and uh, two other sisters who are still living in Aleppo, in Syria. Otherwise, I have uh, four children and four uh, grandchildren. Wow. So you've got four. Um, Liz, my wife and I, we've got 11. So you've got to catch up with us eventually. Um, <laughs> and um, your wife, uh, am I right in remembering that your wife, Hannah-Lise, is Danish? Yes, you're right. Uh, mm -hmm. She's Danish and uh, she is by training a French teacher. She trained uh, to teach French to foreigners, which is why uh, she came to France to complete uh, her uh, studies. In fact, to do some research for her MA uh, dissertation. So you're quite a multi-denominational and a multinational sort of family, really. And uh, I suppose you, you personally must be at least trilingual with Arabic and French and English. And Yes, and I understand some Danish. Mm -hmm. And of course, when I did my theological training, I studied uh, Hebrew and Greek, but I must admit that uh, I am not at all fluent in Hebrew and Greek because uh, my focus was Arabic. After my MA dissertation, I did uh, a PhD in Islamics at the Sorbonne University. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, you know, I uh, was reading Arabic uh, most of the time, much more than Hebrew or Greek. And sometimes I joke and I say I read the Quran more than I do the Bible. <laughs> well, uh, at the time when I was doing my, uh, yeah. my uh, dissertation. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, yeah. I am, uh, you know, I feel I am part of two worlds, uh, the Islamic world, and because of uh, where I was born, where I grew up, uh, and part of the uh, Western world, because I lived in the West now more than I did in Syria. Hmm. Sometimes I, when people asked me when I was in the UK, do you feel uh, Syrian or do you feel French or uh, British? I used to say, you know, I feel that my heart is Arab. Emotionally, I am definitely an Arab, 
And intellectually, I am French because I did my uh, theological education in, in French, in Paris. And my hands are British because I used to work in Britain. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Tell us a, a little bit about, because you said that you grew up, you were born into a Catholic family and you were an, an, an altar servant in a Catholic church and so on. How did you come to uh, uh, an evangelical personal faith? How, how did that happen? Well, uh, again, I moved to France as a medical student when I was 18. And... Uh, one day, I think it was only a few months after I arrived in France, I was coming out of the university restaurant and I saw a table with uh, uh, books and booklets in many languages, which was rather unusual. Uh, and one of the languages was Arabic. So I was very curious. Uh, to find uh, my own language displayed on the table. So as I approached the table, I discovered that it was uh, a Bible uh, book table and run by the CU in France. Mm -hmm. So I started talking with uh, the man who was running the, the Bible stand who happened to be a medical student himself. Mm -hmm. And it was through him that I got to know the CUs in France. Mm -hmm. And most of them uh, were evangelical students. Mm -hmm. And this is how I actually came gradually to become familiar with uh, the evangelical faith. Yes. And then actually, uh, because you refer to the CUs, which are the Christian unions as they're known here, and I think in France there's GBU, aren't they, groups, biblical groups in the universities, which is part of the IFES, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And I think you then worked for them in Paris, didn't you, uh, with, with the student work for some years after that? Yes, correct. Uh, you know, uh, the... After I got my MA uh, in Christian theology, in fact, the, the IFES uh, regional secretary came to see me at uh, the theological seminary to ask me if I would uh, work for them uh, in France. Mm. It was uh, Colin Chapman. Whom I you thought were it was all... Colin Chapman, yes. Yes. Yes, and uh, he uh, even saw me, you know, after my second year, and I told him, "No, I want to complete my degree first. So, but in principle, I agreed because I discovered that there are so many Arab and Muslim students in France, and there was no one who was, uh, you know, committed to minister among them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, after I got my MA degree, I became part of uh, uh, the IFES regional uh, team, regional team meaning the Middle East and the Arab world. Mm 
-hmm. Although I was living in France, mm -hmm. I was actually part of the Middle East and Arab world team because my ministry was among Arab and Muslim students in France. Yeah. And this also was uh, uh, supported by the leadership of the GBU in France because they acknowledged that they needed someone who would be qualified to uh, minister among the Arab and uh, the Muslim students and among foreign students in general. So this is why I worked for the GBU uh, and IFES as well uh, for 12 years, mm -hmm. especially among foreign students. And my focus was Arab and Muslim students. And I suppose that having grown up as a, a, a Christian Arab in Syria, uh, where obviously Christianity is, is a minority faith and the majority of people all around you would have been Muslims, that must have, you used the word qualified a moment ago, and I suppose in that sense, experientially, um, and with your identity, you were very qualified. Was that background an important reason why you felt that to be a, something of God's calling on your life at that time? You know, uh, it's interesting because uh, I felt God's calling uh, when I was in high school. Oh. Yes, because, uh, you know, I, my, my parents sent me to uh, a Christian school, uh, which happened to be a Catholic school, because, uh, you know, the Catholic schools were well, high, had a high reputation because, you know, the teaching was very good and uh, even Muslim families would send uh, uh, their children to these schools, as it happens in France today, actually. Uh, many Muslim families send uh, their children to Catholic schools rather than to government school because uh, they feel that uh, the ethos of these schools is much closer to the Islamic ethos than the secular government schools. Mm -hmm. So to cut a long story short, the all Christian schools were nationalized in 1967 as a, a result of the war, the Six-Day War between uh, Syria and Israel. And my dad approached me and said, Shaukat, uh, I suggest now that the schools have been nationalized that you go to the government school. Because in the Catholic schools, you, you live in a, in a ghetto. You're not actually living with people whom you will meet later on in life. Whereas if you go to a state school, you will be living with uh, people who represent uh, the Syrian society. Mm. And this, is, this was very true. Uh, well, I was in, I was, I moved to high school and there I found uh, that uh, the, obviously the vast majority were, were Muslims and the schools were much larger than in the Catholic uh, schools. And uh, this is why I, where I started having a genuine relationship with Muslims students where I became friends with uh, 
many of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where I discovered that they know little about uh, the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. But they were curious. They wanted to know more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to know more about Islam as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, truth to be said, my dad was open-minded and he had some Muslims among his friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was not uh, completely you know, unknown to me to meet with uh, Muslims, mm. but I had never come to have genuine and, you know, meaningful relationship with Muslim uh, friends. Mm. So I, our interaction was so uh, good that, uh, you know, I started feeling that this is where God would want me to serve him Mm -hmm. uh, later on. Mm -hmm. And again, truth to be said, I wanted to become a priest actually when I was in my teens. Mm -hmm. But uh, because I had no brother, the Catholic Church in Syria, in fact, in in this part of the world, would not accept uh, someone in the priesthood if he doesn't have a brother. Okay. Why? Well, because he has to take care of his parents in their old days. And the same reason why I did not go to the army, because again, uh, if the the guy doesn't have brothers, he has to take, he doesn't go to the army. And if he has a brother, they do not go to the army at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's very enlightened, isn't it? I mean, it's a very sensible policy, really. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, I wish uh, the, the Britain would apply the same rules. And the reason why I say that is because my son, who doesn't have brothers, wanted to do, go to the army mm-hmm. in Britain. And he went to the army and he served Her yeah. Majesty's uh, forces for nine years, mm. which was quite uh, challenging time for his parents. I bet, yes. Because he went to Iraq uh, twice mm-hmm. and to Afghanistan once. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was really the time when almost on a daily basis we would hear people who got injured, or soldiers, I mean, mm-hmm. or, or even dead. Mm-hmm. Anyway, to go back to our uh, main... Uh, <laughs> yes, I was... Uh, you know, God was working in my heart from my very early days, uh, childhood and uh, my teens and uh, therefore uh, my dad my dad died when I was 16 so just mm-hmm. almost uh, at the same time as I moved to the uh, state uh, school and that was a very meaningful experience for my on my spiritual journey it was again when I discovered that God was a father for me he was my <clears throat> excuse me mm-hmm. yes he was my my father my, mm-hmm. my real and intimate father mm-hmm. 
And in a sense, your earthly father bequeathed you the legacy of persuading you to go to the state school, which your heavenly father used as a means of guiding you into the future, which is quite remarkable. Yeah, that's good. That's lovely. Um, Sharkat, a few moments ago, you mentioned uh, our friend Colin Chapman, uh, who was regional secretary with IFES at that time and recruited you to work uh, among Muslim students in France and elsewhere. And as you know, Colin uh, became the chair of the board or the council of All Nations Christian College. And I think it was through Colin uh, that he recommended you to join the faculty of All Nations Christian College uh, when I was principal. And one of the things I remember from that time, and I'd just love you to talk a little bit about is at that time on our faculty, uh, you obviously came to us as an Arab Christian speaking about Islam and the Middle East. But at the same time on our faculty, we had Richard Harvey, uh, who is Jewish, a Messianic Jew, and also Martin Goldsmith, who is, is Jewish. And I, I remember that obviously um, at the time of things like the Intifada and uh, the legacy of the Six-Day War and then I think the, the first Gulf War in the 1990s and so on, you as Jews and Arabs had pretty radically divergent perceptions of the issues at stake uh, from a political and ethnic point of view and yet managed to remain, uh, to embrace one another as brothers in Christ uh, and, and to show the students and the whole community that it was possible to differ on those issues uh, and yet know something of that unity that Paul talks about, you know, of Jew and Gentile and so on in Christ. Would you like to reflect on that a bit and, and what the experience of that was like? I, I remember that uh, uh, you used to have a debate uh, over the issues between the Palestinian situation, the, the Israelis and so on, with your perspective and then with Richard and Martin's perspective and so on. Tell us a bit about that because those were, well, they were good days, as I recall. Yes, yes, indeed. I had, uh, you know, among, I had excellent relationships with all the staff and all the lecturers, mm. uh, but this, you know, more personal relationships with two staff, one of them is Gordon Molyneux, because he was also French-speaking, mm -hmm. although he is English, but uh, he spent uh, many years in uh, French-speaking Africa. And the second uh, person is Richard Harvey, well, my relationship with Richard Harvey was very close, very personal, because precisely we spent much time talking about uh, our uh, different perspective with regard to the conflict in the Middle East uh, and our understanding of the Bible when it comes to uh, Israel, etc., so uh, Richard uh, loved arguing, and <laughs> that is very and, true. And I, I got caught <laughs> in this. And uh, plus, you know, Richard, as a Jewish uh, Christian, was also the first person with whom I had meaningful relationship and uh, ongoing, you know, regular uh, relationships. And despite uh, the differences in our views, we had really very good uh, rapport. Mm. Well, because we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And despite all the differences, 
we had the same Lord. And this was, you know, the most important thing. Mm. So uh, we decided that our discussions might be relevant to many students who would uh, have different views on this issue. So we suggested to the student body that we have uh, a debate on the Arab-Israeli conflict. And people were very enthusiastic. So we would have every year, actually, towards the end of the year, a debate on the Middle East conflict. He would uh, put forward the uh, Zionist case, albeit from a Christian perspective, messianic perspective, as he would say. Mm -hmm. He was more keen on using the word messianic than Christian. Mm -hmm. And I would put, I would put, put forward the, the case for the Palestinian uh, pers uh, perspective. And we would have, uh, you know, uh, very uh, animated uh, debate, but respectful mm -hmm. of each other and would allow students to ask questions. So this was, in fact, one of the high spots of the year for me, mm. uh, like the Islamic course in December. And one day we <laughs> went uh, crazy because we decided, instead of me arguing for the Palestinians and he for the Israelis, we would exchange our rules. Uh, in fact, it was to help us identify with the other. Mm -hmm. So it was actually a very good exercise to try to put ourselves in the shoes of the other people, me in the Jewish people place and he in the Palestinian. And it was very challenging for us, but also very uh, very, very, uh, uh, you know, relevant to the situation. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was perhaps the best uh, uh, session that we ever had on this uh, topic. I said to Richard, you know, in doing this, you have the easiest role because the Palestinian case is much easier to uh, defend than the <laughs> Zionist case. Uh, that was a bit sneaky, but there you go. <laughs> that sounds good. And I think that must it must have made an impact not only in the students, but uh, I know that you have been involved in, and we'll come to it in a moment, in interfaith dialogue and uh, you know seeking to encourage people to to put themselves in the sandals of Muslims and to to, to learn to think how and why do they think as they do? So I, I imagine that that experience would have been a kind of model or a kind of prototype almost of doing that. Mm. Yes, uh, this is something that is very uh, important for me as a, a Christian uh, academic, if you like, that our role is not to focus on Islam as a religion, but uh, on Muslims as people. And uh, this is perhaps one thing that uh, characterizes my approach, that it is not purely academic. It is combined with, uh, you know, the sense of calling 
that uh, I have to share Christ with uh, Muslim people. So uh, for me, we should always see the people behind the religion. Mm. And sometimes I say paradoxically, you know, I remember one one day uh, I was in Cambridge invited uh, to speak on Islam and and uh, I was asked, how do you approach Muslims as a Christian? And my answer was, forget about them being Muslims. First of all, related to them as human beings, because this is what we have in common. And even if you are not an expert in Islam, you can relate to them at this level. So if you want to approach a Muslim, say, first of all, hello, how are you doing? You know, uh, forget about uh, them being Muslims and relate to them first as a human being. And you will see gradually, you will be led uh, little by little to talk about faith issues because Muslims are very interesting in faith issues, much more than, uh, you know, average uh, British or French uh, person Mm -hmm. who is very influenced by secularism. Whereas Muslims, even those who live in the West, still have a religious mindset. And uh, therefore, they will ask you questions about faith, even perhaps before you Uh, wanted to share Christ with them, you won't be led to speak about uh, Christianity. So So this is the important thing. Yes, the the people, not just the religion and the faith in abstract terms, but the people behind. Mm. And therefore, you know, I believe that uh, because Christianity and Islam have uh, conflicting truth claims, there is a place for apologetics. And, you know, many of my books actually uh, have this uh, dimension where I try to explain Mm -hmm. the Christian faith, but uh, never uh, polemics because Mm -hmm. we don't want to confront people, to attack them. This is the difference between polemics and apologetics. Apologetics is to defend the faith by explaining what it is, in especially as much as possible in terms that are understandable by Muslims. But polemics is to attack the other and to attack their religion. So I am very much for apologetics, uh, you know, at the right uh, time and in the context of uh, respect uh, and understanding, but I am against uh, apolog- uh, polemics because mm. it leads to nowhere. Yeah. So it sounds to me like the, you would say there's a difference or at least a difference of approach between relating to Muslims as people, as human beings, hello, how are you, just that a very simple level at which then issues of faith can come up in a natural kind of way on the one hand, and on the other hand, what might be called more formal religious interfaith dialogue, 
where you're engaging with um, people of a different faith, Islam in this case, at a, a at least a modestly academic level because you're dealing with issues of doctrine and uh, scriptures and truth and defending and so on. And you have given a lot of your time also to that second area, uh, including especially in some of your books, and we'll come to your most recent book in a moment. But am I right in thinking there is a difference between that, just the ordinary human interaction and the more formal interfaith dialogue? And then my question really is, does that second one matter? Because a number of Christians I, I know are very suspicious of so-called interfaith dialogue. They might imagine that interfaith dialogue is simply a way of compromising on the uniqueness of Christ or on the truth of the gospel and so on. So do, do you see a place for genuine interfaith dialogue at, at a more formal level? Yes, I do. In fact, uh, you know, when uh, I started started my work with uh, the Christian unions in France, and not only in France, because I have been invited because I was part of IFES. I was actually invited uh, in, to speak uh, in formal settings uh, in many European countries and uh, in, in the US. So uh, I started uh, in a student context, and students are n uh, normally more... Uh, uh, open-minded and more interested in uh, intellectual debate. And sometimes when I had, uh, you know, uh, Muslims uh, around, they would ask me some difficult questions, you know, about the reliability of the Bible, about uh, the divinity of Christ, about uh, uh, the way to salvation. And I must admit that my uh, theological training at uh, the Evangelical Seminary in, in Paris did not prepare me to do to understand that, which is why actually I decided to do a PhD in Islamics. First of all, for my own sake, because I wanted to understand the religion of uh, the majority of my people. How, as a Christian, I can relate it to this religion and uh, it's faithful. And second, because I had now to work with Muslims, with Muslim students, and try to respond to their questions, to their very legitimate questions. And, uh, you know, it was both at the friendship level, but also at a more formal level, because I was invited, uh, you know, very regularly to speak on Islam and Christianity in the university in France. And I did a lot of uh, those meetings, hundreds probably. Mm -hmm. And whenever the CU would invite me, I would ask them, if at all possible, to invite a Muslim Mm -hmm. speaker as well mm -hmm. because I it is very important to be fair yeah. and you know it's more fair to have a Muslim speak about Islam uh, and therefore we can interact mm -hmm. and second because when there is a Muslim speaker probably there will be more Muslim students at the meeting mm -hmm. because they feel that they have a representative yes so in many, perhaps in most of these uh, dialogues, as we used to call them, Christian-Muslim dialogue rather than debate, we would have uh, a Muslim speaker 
And this goes, you know, this happened, you know, on a regular basis, but uh, not on a daily basis. In my daily relationship with Muslims, it was about uh, friendships most of the time or Bible studies. Mm-hmm. I used to have uh, weekly Bible studies uh, uh, for Arabs uh, at the office of the GBU in, in Paris. Uh, and uh, again, it all depends on the person. If the person is, uh, you know, uh, interested in uh, discussing theological issues, we should be prepared to engage on this level. And sometimes they ask us, you know, again, the last time I have, uh, you know, two-hour conversation with a Muslim, it was... Uh, here in my house, uh, and he asked me, he was a Moroccan guy, uh, and uh, he will, when he came to France to visit his daughter, and his daughter was living uh, next to us, and he started the conversation. I normally don't start talking about faith issues the first time, mm. but in on this occasion, I had no choice, because he started, he <laughs> wanted. Yeah. Obviously, we need to be prepared. Exactly. You mentioned uh, just a moment ago that you did your PhD, your doctorate uh, in Islamics at the Sorbonne University, which is basically the sort of Oxford and Cambridge of France, isn't it? Uh, And I I remember, because I think, if I remember rightly, when you completed that and did your viva and everything, that one of the examiners who was a Muslim uh, said that you had understood because your your d- dissertation was on the concepts of forgiveness and pardon mm. in Islam uh, in Quranic uh, uh, and compared with with Christianity that you had actually given a better explanation of the of a Muslim understanding of forgiveness than a Muslim would do. Mm. Uh, so you're you're actually accepted as having been very respectful and fair and understanding by by the Muslim examiners. Am I right in that memory? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, it was actually Michel Chodkiewicz, who was actually a French converted to Islam mm-hmm. and uh, very uh, highly uh, repu- uh, knowledgeable in Islam. He was actually a scholar in Islam. And uh, he, he, I was very moved when he said, I wish, I wish Muslims would... Uh, uh, study Christianity the way that you studied Islam. Mm-hmm. So I was very honored by this remark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, having said that, he had some criticisms, which is quite normal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, m- my ministry and my studies go hand in hand. And uh, I think this is also, if I can say this, what I... Uh, very much appreciated in you, Chris, when I was at All Nations, because uh, I found uh, this combination exactly what uh, I believe in, the scholarship on one hand and ministry on the other. They are not exclusive of each other, quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, we need uh, to have this combined approach uh, to faith in general, to the Bible, Mm -hmm. and uh, and to to Muslims as well. 
So, it's a bit like the Apostle Paul, isn't it, when you think about it? Because he was able to converse on the streets with, uh, with uh, you know, people who thought that they were gods, uh, pagans in Lystra, but he was also able to argue in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, doubtless with uh, Greek academics and people who would uh, argue the faith. So he, he had the ability to move between the sort of popular defense of Jesus being the saviour to the, the most sophisticated arguing from the scriptures and in relation to Greek philosophy and so on. So I, I think you're right. There is a place for the academic alongside the, the personal uh, and the evangelistic. I love what Shakat shared about always seeing the people behind the religion. What a great reminder this is for all of us no matter where we live or who our neighbor might be, to always see others through the eyes of Christ. Join us next week for part two of Chris and Shakat's conversation, where they'll discuss Shakat's newest book, Islam on Trial. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless. God bless.